What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the High Tempo Fast Break Solo today, audio only version. If you did not listen to the last episode, Easton was back on the show where we ranked our top 10 2K players of our lifetimes. It was a really fun episode, a nostalgic episode for sure. So I had to have Easton on for that one. So if you have yet to check that out, please go do so. It is on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere. Like I said earlier, this will be an audio-only episode available only on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, because I needed to come on here today to talk about something incredible that's going on in the sports world. This won't be a Pistons strictly episode. This won't be a Lions or or Michigan State or Tigers. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Tigers, talk a little bit about the Pistons as well. I'm here to talk about Victor Wembenyama of the San Antonio Spurs because last night he got a 5 by 5 If you're unaware of what that means, it means you had five points or you had you had the number of five in five different statistical categories in being points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Wembenyama did that for the first time since 2019. Yusuf Nurkic actually was the last person to do it. There's been a couple random 5 by 5s like Nick Batum's got one. Nurkic is pretty random. But Wemby did this as a rookie. Not only did he do this as a rookie, but the other night against the Kings, a.k.a. last night, or that, this would have been two nights ago now, Wembenyama got the five steals and five blocks, but was one assist shy uh, of completing this. So this pass, the, he comes out the following night against the Lakers, gets all them assists early, finishes with 27, 10, 8, 5, and 5. He only had two blocks like going into the fourth quarter, I think, third quarter. And then just ripped off three blocks. He already had the five steals and everything. And I'm just here to talk about, like, Victor Wembenyama. He has exceeded expectations tremendously his rookie season. I was one that I really tried to temper my expectations for Wemby coming into this year. Because every time you have this a guy coming into the draft that has the generational prospect tag attached to his name... A lot of people are just going to instantly be disappointed within the first five games that when they're not the best player in the league. You know, we saw it happen in summer league. His first summer league game, he he wasn't that good. And people were like, whoa, is Wemby actually generational? Like, come on, what are we doing? This is summer league. So I, I even this whole rookie season, I'm like, he's going to obviously show flashes, but I'm not going to come out here and act like he's going to be leading the league in blocks or be a all-defensive caliber player in his rookie year or be an all-NBA caliber player in his rookie year or get five-by-fives, get triple-doubles. And he has done all of those things. And it is just... So So for me, that's why I am even more so like, wow, because I wasn't really expecting this. I was, I was tricking myself in my mind to be like, year three, he's going to be like a top 10 player in the NBA probably, you know? Not like year one though, it's going to take some time to develop, and he's on a you know a, a team that doesn't have a lot of great pieces around him, so he's not even really playing with the best scenario for his skill set, which is also true, and he's still doing this. He's just having an incredible season. The game before the All-Star break, he had a night where he had 27 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 10 blocks. Triple-double with blocks. So will he get a quadruple-double in his career? Uh, yeah, it's a matter of fact of how many will he get. And I tweeted this last night, but like, how many five by fives is Wembenyama gonna get in his career? Cause he he almost has two already this season. Not just this season, two in the last two nights, you know? So uh there's been twenty one five by fives now in NBA history. Well, maybe twenty two now that I don't know if this is updated. 
Six of them have come from Akeem Olajuwon. So will he will he reach that six number from Akeem? I don't know. That's a lot. Kirilenko, uh, AK-47, is the only other person to have it have done this multiple times, and he has three of them. I think Wemby gets three. I just want like I don't want to say something outrageous and say he's going to get eight or ten, but like I think it's safe to say he's a lock to get at least three to five, five by five games. And Kenny Beecham made a great point. Uh, on his little talk about Wembenyama, where like, is Wembenyama going to reset the scale of how impressive it is to get a five by five, like how Russell Westbrook did with the triple double? You know, when Westbrook first averaged a triple double, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. And then he did it three years in a row in that third year in Washington. I mean, cool. People were saying he wasn't even an all NBA player that year, just averaged a triple double. Like he he made us rethink how good a triple double is, and now it's like everybody gets a triple double. Hell, Josh Hart be getting a triple-double out there, you know? So it's like, how impressive really is it kind of thing? It's still impressive, by the way. I'm not saying it's not impressive. But Westbrook made us, he he changed our and our fandom thoughts on triple-doubles. Is Wembenyama doing that with the 5x5? Five five? There's definitely a potential that he does that because he's doing this all in very limited minutes. I, I, have, a, I have a stat that I'm going to bring up here in a little bit. But he's only played 20 games this year with 30-plus minutes. He's played in 51 games this year. Only 20 of those he's played in 30-plus minutes. And it's just at some point, like, the minutes are going to get ramped up throughout his career. But even when he does play 30-plus, it's like he's playing 30 or 31. Last night he played 31. He goes through these stretches where he doesn't even play a lot. Back in uh, late December and early January, he went through a, a good span where he did not play over 28 minutes in a game. Here's some of the stat lines from these performances against the Pistons on January 10th in 21 minutes. He had 16 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, triple double in 16 minutes, January 12th against the Charlotte Hornets in 19 minutes, 26 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks, January 7th against the Cavaliers in 24 minutes. He had 24 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks, three steals or three assists and a steal. There's so many more I could rip off. Portland on December 28th, 30 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 7 blocks in 24 minutes. He comes out there and just wreaks havoc on the court every time he's out. And it's and the question that I'm going to bring up and I'm going to make points for, are 15 players having a better season than Victor Wembanyama right now? Because that's the question that has to be asked for the Victor Wembanyama All-NBA case. I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but I want to read some more of those stats because right now on the season, Vic is now averaging 20 and a half points, 10 rebounds, around three and a half assists, shooting 46% from the field. The three point shot is still not great. Um, It's at 32% right now, which for five attempts, five attempts from a rookie center shooting 32%. I mean, I understand that the jump shot isn't spectacular, but I think you're, you'll take that, you know, 32% from a rookie center. On five attempts, I think I'm cool with that. Also leading the league in blocks per game at 3.3 and averaging 1.3 steals. 28 and a half minutes per game for Wemby. I mean, that is, it's just crazy. And he's only missed six games this year as well, which I think is a very important thing because Popovich, as much as I'm here sitting here talking about how he needs to play more minutes, the Spurs coaching staff has done a very good job for him not to miss games. You know, he was, he was playing back-to-backs basically all season at the beginning of the year. He wasn't a little bit. Now they just have him on this nice little minutes rotation. He's starting to get back up into the high 20s and 30s from that little dip he had in January. So I'm excited to see this second half of Wemby. And I think it's going to continue to get better. Obviously, we've only seen two games so far. 
post-All-Star break Wemby, and both of them have been generational. Let's take a look at Wemby's stats in games that he averages 30-plus minutes. So in those 20 games where he's gotten 30-plus minutes, also just want to put this out there, his season high in minutes is 38, and then after that, it's like a couple 34s, one or two 35s, and then it's mainly all like 31s and 30s. He isn't even having like any crazy big minutes games. So in those 20 games, he's averaging uh, up to 21 and a half points per game, up to almost 12 rebounds per game, three and a half assists still, three and a half blocks, and about one and a little over one and a half steals. So he's just been phenomenal uh, in his time getting bigger minutes. We haven't seen a rookie in a, in a long time, like actually legitimately be like, okay, this guy is a top player in the NBA right now. You could maybe make the case for Luka. I think Luka right away, we were like, yeah, we know this guy is a stud. Probably could have been in contention for All-NBA. But Wemby's different just because of how he does it on both sides of the ball. I think that that is the the true testament to how good Wembenyama is. Um, the Spurs obviously are one of the worst teams in the entire NBA. They're not a bottom five defense, which is all thanks to Wembenyama. But talking about specifically in the paint. Uh, As a team, the Spurs are 10th in the NBA in paint field goal percentage as a defense at 43%. 10th in the entire NBA is one of the worst teams in the NBA. Pretty crazy. Victor Wembanyama himself, uh, players shoot 41.8% against him in the paint. So people are going at him too. Like you see this all the time. He has one of the most, the, the Spurs have one of the highest field goals attempted in the paints against them in the NBA with such a low percentage because guys kind of just assume they can go at Wemby. You see it in the games. Like He'll have two or three blocks already, and guys will continue to go at him, not trying to make contact either. They're trying to get it up and around him, go over him. I don't know if they're trying to prove something, but it's very clear that players aren't necessarily as afraid of Wembenyama as they probably should be already, even though he's only a rookie. So as we know, the new rules when it comes to NBA awards are that you have to play 65-plus games to qualify for MVP and stuff like that and all NBA teams also it's no longer two guards two forwards and a center on each all NBA team it's just the the five best players on first team the next five are on second and the next five are on third which I'm really excited to see how this is going to work because this is basically just a a top 15 it's no longer going to have Jokic and Embiid not on the first team even though they've been one and two in MVP voting the last three seasons so I'm basically here today to make my case that Victor Wembenyama should be an All-NBA player as a rookie. Here's let me, let me play devil's advocate to my own take here before I get into anything. The Spurs are 11-46. and 46. That would be the worst team in the Western Conference, the third worst team in all of the NBA. They are not good. They're very bad, and we never really ever see guys make All-NBA when they're on bad teams. Even Bradley Beal was snubbed from All-NBA uh, the year that he averaged like 30, over 30 plus points. And it was just because the Wizards were bad. And it's just like, come on, man. He like won the scoring title or was second or something and didn't make All-NBA. Nowadays, everybody averages 30. But back then, it was like two guys averaging 30. Back then, it was like five years ago. Also, you don't see it too often that guys that didn't make the All-Star game make All-NBA. You probably see like one a year. Um, and the lock this year is like Sabonis. Sabonis is obviously going to be an All-NBA player this year, but he was snubbed from the All-Star game. That's not like that big of a criteria. It's just not frequently do you see guys uh, who didn't make the All-Star game make All-NBA. It's like one, maybe two a year. Jimmy Butler is like historically a guy that turns it up post-All-Star game and makes All-NBA. This year he probably won't because of the games limit. So that's part of another reason why I think Wemby has a good chance to make All-NBA. So here's the points for it. 
I wrote down all of the names that I think are locks to make All-NBA over Wemby. So in no specific order, here are the guys that are definitely locks to make All-NBA over, over Wemby. Nikola Jokic, Shea, Luka, Giannis, Tatum, that's five. Kawhi, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Kevin Durant, Demonis Sabonis, that's, that's 10. Anthony Davis. And then these two, I think, if they make the 65 game limits, are locks. And that's Donovan Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Donovan Mitchell's already missed 11 games this season. Tyrese Halliburton has already missed 13 games this season. So you can only miss up to 17. I would assume that these guys are, are both going to be fine, especially Halliburton, because he came back before his injury was even healed, which is an unfortunate way to, like, that's that's one of the cons of this new rule. But I would assume that now that they're past the all-star break and they've rested up a little bit more, mainly Halliburton, he will probably make it. Donovan Mitchell as well. He has six more games he could potentially miss. So it's kind of a high amount. Both of those guys are locks to make All-NBA, though, if they are under that limit. Also, Luka sneakily has missed eight games this year. Something to look at. Just kidding. That would be so unfortunate if he couldn't be qualified. So that's 13 names that I said, with two of them being kind of maybes because of the games limit. Then I have a bunch of guys that I think you could make the argument for. And I'm going to just name these guys off. These are all borderline guys. Once again, in no given order. Devin Booker, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Bam Adebayo, Paul George, Paulo Bancaro, Tyrese Maxey, and Trey Young. Those are the next 10. If I missed anyone else that you think is just crazy that I didn't even include them in my All-NBA consideration, sorry, like Zion maybe, but like he's not he's not going to make All-NBA, you know? Like I really don't think I missed anyone too huge. I'm doing a double check over my teams right now. I don't think I missed anyone that that crazy. Like Randall, if he doesn't get hurt. Dame, I didn't include Dame because it's like I just I don't think he's All-NBA, you know? So out of those other 10 guys, are there two of them that are like – is there two out of those 10 that are in over Wemby? One of Steph or LeBron is All-NBA, and probably both of them, right? Like, there's just no way both of those guys don't make the All-NBA team. That was just another thing where it's like, their teams aren't that good, but also I'm making the argument that Wemby should make All-NBA, so of course Steph Curry's going to make NBA. Steph's probably a lock, if, if I'm being honest, now that I'm sitting here talking about it. The Warriors have been playing better basketball. Steph is having a phenomenal season this year, like one of his best efficiency-wise in some years, so... Yeah, I think that I would include Steph in that lot group. So it's like, what one out of those guys? Bam, I think is a good one, especially if the Heat do go on a bit of a run here to end the season because um, he's been their best guy this year, also their most consistent guy. So I think Bam probably is the top guy out of that group. Booker, maybe. LeBron, obviously, is just going to get the love just because he's LeBron. But you can't have AD and LeBron both make All-NBA this year. I think, I think that, that is they have to draw the line. I love LeBron. I think LeBron is the GOAT, obviously. You can let them both make the All-Star game because that's more of just a popularity thing. If the Lakers are a play-in basketball team, they should not have two All-NBA players. That's how I feel. So that's why I don't really think LeBron. The Timberwolves is a good one because, like, either Gobert or Cat. But I do think Anthony Edwards is a lock. So it's like, do they get two guys? Potentially, they have, you know, one of the best defenses. If Rudy Gobert wins the depoy, which he probably is going to, he probably deserves to be an All-NBA talk over Wemby. But I'm just asking. This is something I'm, I'm asking the viewers of the show. Like, do you think Wembenyama deserves to make All-NBA over all of these guys that I listed? And I haven't even given my case for Maxi or for 
Booker or for Trey Young, Paul George. Like, the Clippers are really good. Paul George is in kind of a slump right now. But, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Is Wembenyama All-NBA? I think he could be, man. And it's really weird to say that because imagine what year three Wemby looks like now. It's scary. And it's also so depressing that the Pistons were the worst team in the NBA last year and fell to five and could have had Wemby. It sucks. So bad. Okay, let's move on. Speaking of the Western Conference play-in tournament, something I wanted to dive into last week when Easton was on that we unfortunately didn't get to because we just were talking about 2K and the All-Star weekend for too long, is other than Denver and the Clippers, what teams in the West, what team in that group of other squads am I most confident in to make a finals run? I think most people would agree that Denver and the Clippers are the two favorites in the West. Yes, I know they are the three and four seeds currently, but I think most people would agree that Denver, they're back-to-back champ, or they went to the championship last year and won it all. They are probably the favorite out of the West, and then the Clippers are just led by a bunch of guys that have experience. I don't want to say that have been great in the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, we know what he can do in the playoffs. He's been one of the better playoff performers, performers of our generation. Paul George has been good on the Clippers in the playoffs. I guess not really that bubble year, but the year that Kawhi got injured, he was great. Um, he hasn't been historically good in the playoffs. I mean, with Indiana, he was. OKC, not as much. So he's he's kind of just been an inconsistent guy. James Harden, for the most part, has been like the definition of an inconsistent playoffs player. But the Clippers have it all. They have good offense, good defense. They have uh, depth. They have good wings. They have a lot of point of attack defenders and they have vets so I think that that is why you would say the Clippers are the second best team in the West and then other than that it's a lot of teams with question marks right the obvious answers would be the two teams that sit atop of the Western Conference tied for first right now the Minnesota Timberwolves and the OKC Thunder these teams are pretty different uh, because one of them really lacks any experience in the Thunder Uh, last year they made the play-in tournament won a game lost in the final game to get into the playoffs but Really not much experience at all on this team. Gordon Hayward, a guy who they acquired at the deadline. It's like their biggest vet. Uh, Kenrich Williams, another guy. Neither of those guys have been a part of like deep playoff runs where they were pivotal pieces on the team. Um, Hayward with the Celtics was injured for them when they went on their run. So they don't have a lot of experience, but I, but they fit everything to be a good team in the playoffs, right? They have that star isolation player. You gotta have that guy. And the Timberwolves do as well, but I'm just I'm focusing strictly on the Thunder right now. They have one of the best players in the league, maybe the MVP of the NBA right now in Shea. They have a defensive anchor big in Chet Holmgren, another rookie who has been phenomenal on the defensive side of the ball. They have like another, they have like your secondary isolation star in Jalen Williams. I think that he definitely fits that category. You need another guy to help take off pressure of your star. And I think J-Dub is that perfect guy. And then they have a bunch of guys on the wing that are shooting the ball really well and can defend really well. Lou Dort is having a career season from three, and we all know how much of a hound he is on defense. Isaiah Joe is one of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA. Clearly has a lot of confidence uh, from Coach Mark Dagnow. Aaron Wiggins, another guy that can come off the bench and strap. Gordon Hayward, a guy who they acquired at the deadline. Kaysen Wallace has been phenomenal shooting from a rookie, and he was another guy that was drafted for his perimeter defense. 
Josh Giddy seems to be the weak link of that starting lineup, but you don't have to finish games with him. He still brings stuff to the table. Come playoff time, his minutes are probably going to have to get severely changed because if teams choose to not defend him, you can't afford to keep him on the court when Isaiah Joe and Aaron Wiggins are sitting on the bench, you know? So that's like the biggest weak link of this team, but it's not that big of a deal because you just don't have to play him at the, at the end of the day. They have what it takes to go on a run. Just the experience thing is the thing that is, that's the lurking thing over their heads right now. That's the dark cloud because we don't see these young squads. I mean, they're the fourth youngest team in the entire NBA and they're the tied for the one seed in the West. That's just something we don't see very often. We saw it from OKC, what, 10 years ago? Oh, longer than 10 years ago. God, it's 2024. Like 12 years ago uh, when Russell Westbrook and KD and James Harden Serge Ibaka, you know, all those guys took the Thunder to the NBA Finals. So, but it, but it wasn't in their first playoff run. They had a couple playoff runs before them, before they went on this run. This is, this is this OKC team's first playoff run. Can they go to the Finals? They're, out of this group of teams, they're my second favorite team. But let me talk about the Timberwolves right now. The Timberwolves also fit that same kind of style. Have an elite isolation ball handler star in Anthony Edwards. The secondary guy is not really there, right? Mike Conley is a great point guard, and he he helps lead this offense, get efficient shots. I like what Conley does, but he's not like your elite isolation player that is secondary to your star. Carl Anthony Towns, you could kind of just say that it's him because he is such a weapon offensively, um, and he has games where he can explode. He's having a great year. I know he gets a lot of shit, uh, but I think he's having a great year. Best defense in the entire NBA, led by the best defensive player in the entire NBA and Rudy Gobert, going to win another deep boy. Also, you know, some elite perimeter defenders on that team as well. Jaden McDaniels, Nikhil Alexander-Walker comes in, Hounds guards. So they have, they have what it takes to go on a deep run. Their offense, though, is just, and, and I hate to be that guy because that's what everyone says, their offense just has a tendency to get stagnant and it's, and it's not even just that. It's even with Anthony Edwards. This is something that Matt pointed out the last time he was on the podcast. But, like, Anthony Edwards takes a lot of pull-up deep twos. And it's not, like, it's it's something that it's nice to have in your game. But if you're not the best of the best at it, a.k.a. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, which both those guys are on the same team, DeMar DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, like, Anthony Edwards can get a more efficient shot. That is those guys' best shot. That's why they take it. You know, that is what they are best at. Anthony Edwards can get to the rim a lot. And he's a pretty good knockdown pull-up three-point shooter as well. So that whole middle of the floor range, it's not, I'm not saying he has to completely take it out. But when he's consistently taking that shot, and then you you also run into the spurts where their offense gets slow, it can it, you could see it fumbling in the playoffs. But this team is not a team that lacks experience. This will be their third straight playoff appearance with this group of guys. Uh, Rudy Gobert was not a part of the first run, which was the Patrick Beverly play-in tournament run. But even that year, they, you know, they played the Grizzlies really tough uh, in the first round, took them to six games. Last season, they were the eight seed, played against the Denver Nuggets in the first round. Nuggets said that was their hardest series of the whole Western Conference, maybe the whole entire playoffs. Like they, I know that they haven't been successful. They haven't made it out of the first round. But they've been there the last two seasons. You know, Anthony Edwards has gotten that exposure. He played very well in that Nuggets series last year. So if that's what is the biggest concern to you when you're picking teams to go on runs is experience, you can check that box for Minnesota. And I could see that being a reason 
why you would choose Minnesota over OKC. But I'm going to take OKC over them. But let me tell you about the team that I think I'm taking in the Western Conference to go on a deep run. Right now, you have the fifth seed in New Orleans Pelicans at 34 and 23. I'm not picking them. I like them. I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched enough Pelicans ball this season. Early in the year, I was pretty tapped in because I was just so excited to see Zion again. Um, and I, you know, I still watch them from time to time, but they're not my go-to squad. Got to watch them more. The Kings, I don't know. Not, they're, they're not my team. Then you have the three, like, you know, super what-if teams uh, at the 8, 9, and 10 seed being the Suns, Lakers, Warriors. You could definitely make a case that the Suns are going to go on a run. I mean, if the Suns play the Timberwolves in round one, who's favored in that series? If we're being, if we're being honest, like that's why I love this Western Conference playoffs because all of the first round matchups are just going to be so fun. Uh, the Lakers at the nine seed, the Warriors at the 10 seed. One of those two teams gets in, right? Oh, maybe not though. God, who's not going to make the playoffs? Is it going to be the Kings? I mean, one of the Lakers or Warriors gets in, right? There's no way both of them miss. Wow, this is going to be so fun. I'm so excited for this. I'm, I'm going to say the Kings are going to miss the playoffs. That's going to be my my last, uh, my early prediction for the play-in tournament. But anyways, the team that I'm picking is a team that also could be playing in the play-in tournament at the end of the year, and it's the six-seeded Dallas Mavericks sitting at 33-23. and 23. Their moves at the deadline, as much as I, I, I didn't talk about this on the podcast as much. I guess I did with Matt, actually, yeah. You don't love them from a asset standpoint, right? From an asset management standpoint, it's like, yeah, you traded basically two first-round picks for P.J. Washington, you know? You traded a first-round pick for Daniel Gafford. You don't have any of your picks from 2026 to 2030. That's kind of a concern because in the way the NBA works, if you have a star player, you don't know where he's going to be in four years because that's just how the NBA is, that he can get frustrated and he's gone just like that, you trade Luka because he's frustrated and wants out, wants to go play with Jokic, and all of a sudden, you don't have your picks after trading Luka. You just have other teams' picks. So that's what's like a little I didn't love from that. But clearly they understood that because this was a this-year thing. From a this-year thing, getting P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford was huge for this Mavericks team because it just adds some be- like better rebounding. P.J. Washington brings a lot more to the table than Grant Williams does. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, like not the not the defender that Grant Williams is, but I think it's okay because you still have a Derek Jones Jr. Maxi Kleba has returned to the lineup. You have a lot of these wings that are good shooters and good defenders. Dante Exum is, is healthy again. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been phenomenal this year, probably the sixth man of the year right now. Kyrie Irving, since returning from his injury, has looked so good, and I think the combination of him and Luka has been a phenomenal one-two punch. I think... If we're talking about that whole star isolation player and then you have the secondary isolation player following it, not many teams that have a better combination of that than the Mavericks. And obviously, the guy that is the reason I'm picking them is Luka. Luka has been incredible this year. He's running away with the scoring title. Obviously, Joel Embiid getting injured clearly helped his case there. But Luka has just been so, so good. And I think that he's getting a little bit like kind of left out in this MVP talk right now. It's kind of just like a Jokic Shea thing. And it's just like, I get that they're the six seed and everything, but they're not too far from just going on a little bit of a run here. And I mean, they're probably not going to get in that top four. That top four is probably set in stone, but they've played very good lately. They're eight and two in their last 10. They're on a seven game win streak. Like this Mavericks team is the hottest team in ball. So it's easy for me to say that they're my team I'm taking. But it's for that exact reason. They had the three-point shooting. 
They have defenders as a team. Their defense isn't like phenomenal, but the offense is so good, led by the best offensive player in the league, probably. I, I think that's like the best score in the league, I guess I'll say. I, I think the Mavericks are my pick to go on a deep Western Conference run other than the Clippers and Nuggets out of the that group of teams that is all like who could it be in this first round basically anybody like you could make the case for you can make the case for 10 teams to go on a deep run in this Western Conference that's what's so good and if the if the playoffs started today you have Mavericks Clippers first round the third version of it oh my gosh I would hate it I don't want I want to see that that in the conference finals I don't want to see that in the first round I mean this these first round matchups right now let's say Lakers Warriors are both gone right Timberwolves Suns. Wow. Thunder Kings. That's a super fun matchup. That is a very, very fun matchup. Clippers Mavs. Like I said, just a dogfight. Nuggets Pelicans. You probably take the Nuggets, but I'm not counting out the Pelicans. So yeah, it's going to be very fun. Continue to watch basketball because the West is where it's at right now. But let's talk about where it's not at right now. Detroit Pistons. On the Wednesday after All-Star break three days ago when the Pistons returned to practice to get ready for their next game against the Indiana Pacers, Coach Monty Williams went to the press conference and said that the team is going to be playing to win down the stretch. Quote, I'm not going to be throwing certain combinations on the floor just to see how they look. We're done with that. We'll be competing. Okay, Monty Williams. Even though you've come out in the press conference so many times this year and said things, just said straight up bullshit and then go into the games and don't do any of it, I'm going to take your word for it this time. That means let's go. We're not going to see much James Wiseman anymore. We're probably not going to see any of Malachi Flynn, hopefully not a lot of Evan Fournier because these are guys that have gotten no minutes on good teams this year. Want to know why? Because they're not good NBA players. There's a reason they don't play on good teams. That means we're going to continue to see Marcus Sasser in this great six-man role because he has been very effective this season coming off the bench. One of the most efficient guards in the whole league, not even just as a rookie. This means we're going to see Cade Cunningham play the most minutes, etc., etc., etc. Well, if I told you that Malachi Flynn played 11 minutes in this game, if I told you that Evan Fournier Played the most minutes off the bench at 18. Actually, no, excuse me. Him and James Wiseman both played 18 minutes off the bench. Marcus Sasser, that elite six man I just told you about that's been great as a rookie. 10 minutes off the bench, the fewest on the entire team. Mike Muscala, who is starting on this team. And the Pistons have been way better with Mike Muscala. I know that it's not directly because of him, but like it kind of is. Ever since they got him, they were, they've had him a much better record in games that he plays in. DNP, coach's decision, but we're done with the putting out random lineups and trying to develop guys. We're trying to win. Isn't it pretty damn clear that Mike Muscala is better than James Wiseman? Can't any fan that's watched a second of Pistons basketball this year tell you that? Can't any casual NBA fan tell you that, hey, Malachi Flynn probably could have been one of the four guys that we chose to cut during this whole, when we had 19 guys on the team. It's a joke. Monty Williams is a joke. I was, I I really try to give him the benefit of the doubt for the whole, even like the whole 28 winning streak stretch, like, or losing streak, (laughs) winning streak, huh? I tried giving him the benefit of the doubt. The personnel is bad. The front office and the coaching staff don't see eye to eye. It's gotta be awkward. 
the team is the roster's not good. He's trying his best type, you know. No, that is gone. If it, Monty Williams, the fact that he's still the coach is ridiculous. Jacques Vaughn of the Brooklyn Nets gets fired, who just signed him extension last offseason. Fired. We saw Adrian Griffin, who signed a contract with the Milwaukee Bucks this year. Fired. You're telling me that Monty Williams, and I was a believer of like, you can't fire Monty because of the long-term guaranteed money thing. You can't fire him. You can't fire him, still be paying him, and then go get another coach. Like, we have to at least play, play it out a year, you know, get a year off this contract. But after I've seen these other coach firings, it's like, okay, like, w- there's no reason now. I get not being wanted, wanting to be the first team to do it. I mean, you have to do it at this point. It, it, it is so weird to see the rotations that he puts out on a nightly basis. It is actually ridiculous. I mean, the start of the second quarter, we had 11 guys in the game. What, dude? Why are we playing 11 guys? We don't have 11 good guys. Evan Fournier and Malachi Flynn don't need to be playing. Give them zero minutes per. Troy Brown Jr. can be a solid guy off the bench. Play him more. Shake Milton can be a decent guard off the bench. There was a lineup in this late first quarter. I think it was the first five off the bench. It was Shake Milton, Marcus Sasser, Troy Brown Jr., Evan Fournier, and James Wiseman. What is that lineup? You can't keep in Fontecchio or Ivy. You can't keep in one starter with that group. That lineup is terrible. There's no way that you you came out with that quote and said, we are going to try to win games and compete, and I'm done throwing out lineups just to throw out lineups. And then you actually throw out that lineup. What are we talking about? It's clear that he is an unserious head coach. He clearly does not care at all. And after seeing all this Doc Rivers stuff come out about how he basically didn't want to coach, he just like did it just because <clears throat> uh, the money, I would ex- I would assume, is why he did it. That was very eye-opening to me. Is like, okay, like this confirms that Monty Williams just wanted, just took the bag. I mean, they didn't want it. He didn't want to come. They offered him before. He was like, nah, I want to take a year off. And then Troy Reaver and Tom Gores butted heads. Troy Reaver didn't want Monty Williams. Tom Gore said, guess what? I'm your boss. I'm going to hire him anyways. Hire a guy that doesn't want to be the coach and clearly gives no shits about this team, and we continue to lose. I want to bring up a quick hypothetical from my cousin Jared, who texted me this morning, and it worked out because I'm doing a podcast. He said, hot take. Fire Monty. Trade Cade. Build around Jaden. I totally agree with the first part. I think everyone agrees with the first part. Fire Monty Williams is, is clearly the play. Um, and I think that his, his, I don't know if this is something he actually like wants to happen. Maybe it was just a talking point. Um, but his, you know, he said, you just can't have Cade and Jaden play together because they just haven't played that well together. Cade gets you more on the trade market and Jaden Ivy has played very well when Cade is off of the floor, which I do agree that Ivy, especially in that little stretch that Cade was gone. That was when we saw the best versions of Ivy. I, you can't trade Cade though. You can't trade Cade. He last night he really he had, or not last night two nights ago had a huge game uh, against the Pacers. Even though it was a, I mean he was our only good offensive player in that game. Played only thirty minutes. Why? But he looked back to that more aggressive version of himself on zero free throws. By the way, had a thirty ball. Um, because when he came back from the injury, I don't think he played bad. I think everyone was kind of overreacting to his play. He just didn't seem as aggressive. Uh, and getting to the free throw line is something that. I don't even think it's something he has to work on. I think it's just hopefully he starts to get calls because he clearly tries to get fouled and he just doesn't get calls, which really sucks. I think it's more of the Pistons thing than it is a Cade thing. 
But yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't trade Cade. It's just whether or not the Ivy and Cade minutes haven't looked that good. Guess what? None of the lineups have looked good, you know, and Cade has clearly been our best player this season. So you can't trade him. Um, I've also seen a lot of extension talk with Cade. Like, should we give him the max? You're giving him the max. You don't have a you don't have a choice. I mean, you're giving him the rookie max extension. You're not about to let him be the first guy to decline the rookie max extension. So you're obviously going to give it to him. We don't have many other options. Uh, but yeah, I, I I can't get behind this one. I don't I don't think you need to trade either of those guys. I just I was so excited after the deadline and Quentin Grimes plays today. By the way, against the Magic, that game tips off uh, here in a few, so it'll probably be on by the time this is posted. So I'm excited to see that, but. Yeah, uh, Monty Williams needs to be fired, though. Completely agree with the first part of that one, Jared. Monty is, uh, he, he is things that I can't say. It would it would be very rude of me to say the things that he is. And it sucks, man. I miss Dwayne Casey. I miss Stan Van Gundy. Isn't that weird to say? The Pistons have the worst winning percentage in the NBA of the last 10 seasons. Of any team in the NBA the last 10 years. A.K.A. that is my fandom as a Pistons fan. 10 years ago, I was 12. That was probably when I like became a true Pistons fan, dialed in, when I was writing down box scores on a piece of note paper at my grandma's house, writing down how many points Austin Days got, how many points Jonas Yurebko's got. You know, like I used to do that as a kid. And we sucked. And guess what? We're even worse now. Let's get into the final segment of today, though. The Tigers are back. They have their first spring training game today. It actually just tipped off right now, so that's why I'm going to try and wrap this up quick because I want to watch. Super excited to watch the Tigers today. Um, their lineup is a little bit weird. They got Akil Badu, Justin Henry Malloy playing out in left field, which I'm super excited for him. He's a guy that might make the roster opening day. He was phenomenal in Triple A last year. Colt Keith hitting in the three-hole at second base. Should be the starting second baseman this season is kind of what it is leading towards. Javi Baez is hitting DH in cleanup. Matt Veerling out in center field. Andy Abanez at third. Uh, Keston Hero, who they signed from the Milwaukee Brewers this offseason. He's playing first base. Jake Rogers behind the plate. And Ryan Kreidler playing shortstop. Um, yeah, I'm super excited uh, for to watch this Tigers game, man. The Tigers, I, I'm very invested in this season. Picked up Gio Urshela uh, a couple days ago, which I think is a solid pickup. He's probably going to be the starting third baseman. Like, we really have a hole there. Whether I mean, Andy Abanez is playing there today, and he was pretty solid last year. It's probably going to be more of a rotation. A.J. Hinch is very, one of the most, makes some of the most changes out of any manager in the MLB. So I'm very excited to see uh, who wins that spot at third base. If Colt Keith is the starting second baseman, et cetera, et cetera. Who starts in the outfield? Because I think Mark Canna probably is your starting left fielder. Is Parker Meadows starting out in center field to start the year? Is Riley Green going to be DHing to start the year? Is he not even going to be ready? Is he going to be in the outfield? Akil Badu seems like a guy that's probably like on the outside looking in at this point because you have Kerry Karp. Um, if Henry Malloy makes the opening day roster, then I don't know what happens. So Akil Badu, I think, kind of has to go on a hot streak here in spring training to, to save his spot on this team. Could be a guy that gets traded uh, before opening day. But yeah, I'm super excited to watch the Tigers this season. Uh, Reese Olsen also is going to be pitching for the Tigers today, a guy who had a pretty solid rookie season last year. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. There's a lot of college basketball on today. I think Houston and Baylor are playing right now, so I, I also want to tune into that one. Um, it's almost March Madness season, baby. And I want to talk about some NBA prospects here soon. I've done 
some research on some specific guys. I have some sleepers that I like, but a lot of the guys near the top I still haven't dove into a lot. So one of these days I'll be doing a podcast breaking down the top prospects of this year's NBA draft because as Pistons fans, we don't have much else to look forward to except for that at this point. So yeah, that's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and I'm out. Peace.